Welcome to episode 193 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Sunday, 8th of July, 2018. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. For show notes, links, and all sorts of other information, please visit our website at www.the-spokesmen.com. And now, here are the Spokesmen. Hi there, I'm Colton Reed of BikeBiz.com and I'm very happy to report that after a long hiatus, today's show is once again a virtual roundtable. And I've got two regulars with me, as well as a newbie, who's written a new book about a certain American Tour de France winner. Now, as usual, we recorded on Skype and there are a few buzzes and dropped audio uh, segments here and there. Uh, my apologies about that, but hey, Let's get into the show. Welcome to episode 193 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. And we have got some crew back. We have got um, people round a virtual roundtable. Me in the UK, even though I was in the US last week, couldn't see David. We'll explain that uh, in a minute, I'm sure. Um, oh, thanks. You couldn't see me either. Uh, well, you're in a completely different place. So <laughs> I, I can't be everywhere in the US. That was uh, Jim. So Jim... Uh, Moss, welcome uh, to the show. Jim, how are you doing? Uh, life is great. I went. Uh, I have a tip already. Don't go mountain biking with your nephew who's half your age the day before you do a podcast. Half your age? So he's like uh, he's 40, 45? 30-something or other. <laughs> he's more <laughs> like you. <laughs> Want some aloe for that? Yeah, that burn. Um, burn, Jim. Yeah. He, he spotted tons of wildlife. I saw cows. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all you see when you get your head out of the dirt. <laughs> you crashed, huh? No, I had spectacular dismounts. <laughs> and you also heard there, I believe, I think it was, it was David. Welcome to the show, David. <laughs> David? I was bummed that I didn't get to see you as you, as you flew through um, Salt Lake City. It was crazy. So close, yet so far. Apparently. Apparently it was a win. It was, but it was a windfall for you. It was. It was. It was handy. Yes. <laughs> it was. It was interesting, and, and it, it's yeah. strange. Like the strange. The, the first thing. The same thing I should say has happened to my daughter. So she got bumped off a flight um, two days ago, going to Europe, and she also got a bunch of cash. So weird. Uh, and also, this is, this is how the Reed family amasses its fortune. Exactly, we just get bumped <laughs> off flights. And uh, new to the show, so David and uh, Jim are, of course, uh, regulars, old hands, veterans of uh, the spokesman. However, we are welcoming to the show for the very first time Daniel. Uh, Daniel, I, I, I want you to pronounce your your name there because there's a there's an accent on the end of that. So is it Vise? Is it how, how should you pronounce your name, Daniel? Well, that's right, uh, De Vizet. There's a there's a town in Belgium called Vizet, and long ago somebody in my family was De 
Vise. So I actually, this is the first time ever, I've actually, I've correctly got somebody's pronunciation. So that, that accent is the Vise where you kind of go up, yeah? That's, that's right. I, I don't really speak French, but I'm told that's how you say it. But you've got the perfect name for writing books about cycling, if you've got a, like a French-sounding <laughs> name. You didn't make that up. That's your real name. <laughs> it is. I, I don't know that it had the space and the little D and the big V when my grandfather Victor came over from Brussels. But, you know, they, they mangle your name when you get to Ellis Island. Okay. So that sounds, well, French, but of course you're saying it's, it's Belgian. But it's, it's uh, yes. a fantastic cyclingly sounding name. And you are the writer, I mean, I believe it's coming out uh, later this year. Uh, it just, just came Lemont. out la la last month. Oh, last month. Sorry. So yeah, it's yeah. called The Comeback, and that's about Greg LeMond. So tell us a little bit about uh, your book. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I just I just honestly just thought it was a great story, just great material. Um, leaving out it, it even being about cycling, Greg's story is just, it's like what you learn about in English class, you know, conflict. Um, he, this man, Greg, first overcomes uh, just trying to be an American conquering this, you know, quintessential European sport which is insane, and yet he does, and he, and he wins the tour for, for himself and for America in 86. And then he gets shot and he nearly dies. <laughs> and then he comes back to the top of arguably the most grueling sort of aerobic sport in the world, which I think is unprecedented. There's certainly nobody else in the States who's come back from near death to Lance the top. Armstrong? Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> I think and, I'm going to like this guy. <laughs> and, and then he conquers uh, the tour in spectacular fashion, arguably the greatest tour of all tours. And then, and then he has this epic feud, uh, an, an epic sort of Hollywood-style feud with uh, his sort of successor as the icon mm. of American cycling. And so if you think of these as, you know, HC climbs in a tour stage, I mean, one after the next after the next, it's just great conflict. And I know Greg suffered mightily in, and has suffered mightily in his life. I don't know how he got through all this and is still standing, mm. but he is. And it's just awesome material. And it had never really been collected into one book, at least in the States, as far as I can tell. So I went ahead and did it. And that's the book. So me and David, we, we, we're in, we were in a press conference, weren't we, David, where <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Greg Lamont actually got into my chair. So I got up to take photographs of the audience uh, and of Lance, because he was the front days uh, in Las Vegas. And then uh, Greg LeMond got up and sat in my chair. And this is the famous, I don't know if it's in your book, Daniel, but it, it's the famous press conference at, uh, at Interbike where they went at each other hammer and tongs. <laughs> yeah, I know it. Um, I did, it. It didn't get into the book because the, the, the words that were actually exchanged, you'd only really understand what they were getting at if you were an insider. So it didn't really work for sort of a general reader. They wouldn't get what these two guys were saying to each other. But yeah, I mean, that's obviously a big moment in terms of that feud. <laughs> mm. I, was, I was actually sitting right behind him during that press conference. And that were was you there hilarious. too? I didn't know that. Blimey. Yeah. Th we're all uh, there. Crikey. His, his veins in his yeah. neck <laughs> were just throbbing. Uh, and, you can, and his whole head was just getting redder and redder. I mean, he was just... A pulsating. It was wonderful. Who do you mean? Do you mean, do you mean Lance or Greg? Greg. Yeah, yeah, Greg. Yeah, I would say, and, and I would say was, both. But what was fat? There were there were a couple things about that that was really fascinating that day. The first thing was, and Carlton mentioned it to me at the time. Um, you know, Lance makes his announcement, and the press, the media, 
supposedly neutral, um, were cheering him when he came in and were cheering him when he made his announcement. Mm. And I remember Carlton remarking at how how totally bizarre that was. The second thing that I thought was 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 fascinating was nobody really wanted to talk to Greg afterwards. I, I did an interview with him with maybe one or two other people, um, and but nobody wanted to talk to Greg. Everybody wanted to talk to Lance. Mm. And I wonder what people's thoughts are in hindsight about that, considering um, what what ended up transpiring. And Daniel, I love the fact that you bring up that that that. That, that Greg was shot, came back from that near-death experience. And yet, and while it's still amazing, hoping or not, that Lance came back from cancer, people seem to forget um, the, the, the struggles that Greg had and, 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 and how he sort of blazed a trail for people like Lance Armstrong, didn't he? Absolutely. There, there are parallels, great parallels between the two of them, which I think both of them appreciated uh, at the beginning, I think they they admired each other early on, um, and then uh, Greg, being an insider, he was sort of like, uh, if you will, sort of like the Hank Aaron of American cycling. You know, the home run mm-hmm. king who retired, and then here's Barry Bonds, mm-hmm. and Greg starts hearing things because he's he's the ultimate insider in American cycling, and hearing things and hearing things to the point where he just not raise a few questions by 2001 and he does raise a few questions <laughs> and it it's it's your it's Hank Aaron calling out Barry Bonds that's how big a deal it was uh and so I guess Lance and his team could not let it stand you know Greg questioning his achievements and so this epic uh Betty Davis style feud breaks out between the two of them you know uh and 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 for and for 10 years yeah uh, uh, Greg uh, if you read the coverage of him during the decade of the 2000s, uh, it's very skeptical. The mm. people writing about Greg during those years didn't seem to quite believe what he was saying, didn't think he was quite a credible person. Um, oh. And it's it's kind of surreal looking back at it. They, they they treated him like he was like he was a crazy person. Crazy, like he had yes, this, this totally. vendetta that he was jealous in some way. Yeah, yeah. completely. Uh, Daniel, how much of uh, the research, how much of the book... Did he get involved with, how, in other words, how much of it is authorized, how much of it was you, you just doing your own stuff and he didn't have any a part of it? Well, the first thing I'll say is that I don't see this necessarily as a biography any more than the book Seabiscuit is a biography of a horse or uh, The Boys in the Boat is a biography of that rower. Um, I, I see this as a work of narrative nonfiction with the tour, the 89 tour at its center. And yes, I do tell Greg's complete life story I also tell Laurent Fignon's complete life story uh, mm. in a shorter form, but it's a dual biography of the two of them, and it's a story about this amazing race. Having said all that, uh, Greg was great. Um, I got as much access to him as I had any right to expect, uh, more so. <laughs> At one point, I just sort of showed up in Minneapolis, uninvited and unannounced, and asked to meet with them. And because they're nice people... They met with me, and thank God, because if they hadn't, I, the book would have been off to a bad start. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I met Daniel at his book signing at the Tattered Cover Bookstore here in Denver, and invited him on the show because it was one of the best. Uh, the book signing is sort of a bad term for what Daniel does. He was extremely entertaining, extremely down to earth, um, and and fun. I mean, I just sat there with a grin on my face, having. Um, known parts of the things that he was saying and learning a lot from him. And so I would encourage everybody, 
even if you can't read or want to buy a book, <laughs> and I would strongly urge you to buy the book, um, go see him if, if he's in your town or close by, because it's a quite an entertaining story. Um, and, and in that in that story is also the story of his family and cycling, which is even more entertaining in some cases. So, Well, Daniel, it's good to have you along on the show. And it's also good because, of course, the Tour de France has started. So we're, we're two days in. Just before we came uh, on air on, on Skype and started to talk to each other, uh, a certain world champion has stolen today's show in that he, um, he came Spoiler in and... Alert. Well, I, th- I think people are going to be watching the show. Going to be I watching, missed it. Watching, I was watching waiting for somebody. I was waiting for somebody on Skype. I missed it. Oh, you mean it's a spoiler alert for you? You didn't watch yeah. it? I'm sure you watched it. That's not true. So we, we have a world champion who has, has won today. Uh, we have a, 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 a tour debutante who won yesterday. So these are two fantastic stories uh, for the tour. But I'm going to ask Daniel uh, this question straight in, and this is, this is, this is clearly an obvious question to, to lead with, and that is, okay, they're the, the, the good news stories on the tour so far, but there's a potential uh, rough story that, that could last the, the whole tour, and that is Froome. So, yes, he's, in, in kind of parentheses here, in, in, in inverted commas, he's been cleared uh, by WADA and, uh, and UCI, but he clearly, he's getting booed everywhere he goes still. So this is going to be a rough month for him. Do you think, Daniel, do you think he should have uh, kept on, on the, the tour? Oh, goodness. Um, I, I'm, I'm really just, I just have a, a fan's perspective on the tour now. I'm not an expert on <laughs> the modern-day Peloton. However, um, didn't Eno himself more or less urge the riders to reject Room? Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah, go on strike, uh, and- in fact. Don't ride. The, the the very voice and face of the tour. So I imagine if you're Froome, you know, pedaling into this, mm. uh, and 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 you know, is basically instructed. I think the French nation to uh, uh, reject him. I think, uh, and this must be a terrible uh, situation for him out on the roads. Uh, certainly not unprecedented. I remember from <laughs> researching tours in the '70s and the '80s, people who weren't particularly French <laughs> sometimes had a hard time uh, being accepted out on the roads. But uh, yeah, I, I was I was I was watching some of the race coverage yesterday, and the commentators were saying that he was being loudly and <laughs> openly booed wherever he went. So it's it's going to be a, a rough ride, and you have to wonder because these cyclists they're basically kids. I mean, all of them they're they're like men of twenty, twenty five, thirty. They're not iron will people necessarily. I mean, some of them I think like Lance could be really strong in their in their minds, but you have to figure it's going to affect him. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it might make him kind of wobbly, uh, all this booing. Is it, so you mentioned there, Daniel, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you, Daniel, still, still on this one. You mentioned that, uh, you know, was basically saying, because uh, you know, they, they're not French, that uh, he's getting a bit of a, a rougher ride uh, than maybe he would have been if he was French. So do you think a lot of this is, is the narrative that we've had a lot of Anglophone winners over the past, well, 20 years and certainly in the last uh, few years, where we've had Brits winning, um, is there just some sort of reaction to that? They've had enough. It's like, come on, you've, you've had your turn. Let's just get you out of the way. Well, I, I, I feel like looking over the last three, four decades of the tour, uh, the, the, the baton seems to pass sort of from one nation to the next. Um, and, it, you know, of course, if you're older and you're French, it used to be France and then maybe the occasional Belgian 
or Dutch person or Italian would, would sweep in and, and control the race for a while, but mostly it was French people. Um, and, and the last 20, 30 years, you know, you've had Spain, uh, you've had the United States. I know it's a little rocky there, but you had America sort of control the race for a while. And, and now you've had England. And I've, I've been asking people, I asked some people in Denver, and everybody's saying maybe Colombia will be the next nation mm. to kind of. So I don't know if you're French, if you're Bernardino, you know, if you're a French tour fan. I'm not sure if you can rightfully expect France, which hasn't won since 85, <laughs> to come back in and start winning the tour again. Uh, but yeah, I, I have to think that with the, this, uh, this British team and British writer having dominated for several years now, and now having been caught taking something that I guess he shouldn't have been taking in that quantity, that yeah, there's some resentment uh, naturally from, you know, and, and this wouldn't be the first time that, that France has kind of yeah, sort of uh, turned on somebody from a different country who's, who's come in and sort of dominated the race. So maybe, Carlton, maybe, mm. maybe this has absolutely nothing to do with, with the nationality and everything to do with the fact that people are fed up with, with, with um, uh, riders, racers, thinking that they can get away with things and then the international bodies allowing them to get away with things. Either we have rules or we don't have rules. And if we're going to have rules, the rules need to be followed. And maybe Eno is saying, hey, how do you, find, how do you sanction uh, somebody like Pataki for, for exactly the same mm. thing? And you don't sanction for him. Why? Because he's popular? Because he's because he's 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 a he's a good image for the sport. I said before the Giro, he shouldn't have been in the Giro. And 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 so maybe that's what we're hearing. Maybe this has absolutely nothing to do with nationality. David, if we didn't have him in the Giro, we wouldn't have had that amazing breakaway, which is the best breakaway well. Since Floyd Landis. I, I, I was uh, hesitating there because <laughs> I didn't want to go there. Uh, but a very but, similar but, but Floyd Landis point, but, but, but that's the point, right? So we have a couple of dopers mm. um, making some amazing breaks. Jim, I have a feeling, will say, well, that makes it exciting. So what's the difference? Or That's not exactly what you would say, Jim. But from my perspective, we either have rules or we don't. I've said that time and time again on this show. And you know, you know, it seems like... Nobody gives a crap about rules. I, I think Eno gives a crap. I have changed my mind an awful lot in the last 72 hours. What? Yes. <laughs> um, first of all, I interviewed Richie Port one time when he was over here writing. And I asked him why he liked writing in the United States. And he said, the roads are wide and the buffets are full. If you don't get... <laughs> He says, if you don't get to the very front of the buffet at the Tour de France, you may not eat. And the last thing he says was, and in France, if you're off the back, they yell and spit at you. In the United States, they go, keep going. You can do it. We believe in you. Fight. You know, and they cheer you on. Um, having said that, I've, I'm fed up. I mean, I don't know if Frome doped or not. I honestly don't. Uh, but I do believe if we have rules, we got to enforce the rules. And... You know, if it was the United States, I'd be lining up to help Patechi sue the UCI. The people who walked out of this, walked out of this, who, who have the biggest amount of, I'll use the term egg for BS, uh, is the UCI. I mean, it's just utterly ridiculous to have nine months to make this decision. Mm-hmm. And then, the, you know, a couple of days before the race actually starts to say, oh, yeah, he's in. Because the ratings are starting to suck if he's not, it looked like. So surely the, 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 the issue here then is UCI and WADA. It's not Froome. Froome has 
if you, if you want to believe what he said and, and that French newspaper uh, where he's come on, uh, is he believes and he put forward uh, evidence to show that he, he didn't take that much salbutamol at all. And anyway, the salbutamol test, as, as the person who actually, the, the medic who actually came up with the test has said, is a flawed test. So it's not Froome's fault. And if Pataki, well, uh, if there's a problem with Pataki, that's Pataki's issue to take up. It's not something to do with Froome in this race. It's, it's, yes. The rules have not been broken. Wait, 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 wait a second. His you letter, you switch all, out. Hang on, Jim. Wait, wait. First of all, Jim, welcome to the light. Second of all, I think the letter, <laughs> I think the letter was one of those methinks he doth protest too much. I thought that the letter made me sick. You know what? There was no reason for the letter. If you're innocent, you just say, I'm innocent. And I'm going to ride my bike. But yep. then you write this letter. I'm sorry. That pissed me off. Hmm. The, the issue is, Carlton, if you would have taken your conversation you just had, that your, your uh, soliloquy, and, and switched the names Armstrong for Froome mm. and whatever for for the the drug, um, would it have been any different? I mean, the the difference that we now all stand on is the fact that uh, Armstrong admitted he doped. Um, well, you know, uh, fifteen years from now, what are we going to hear from Froome? I, I don't know if he doped. I I do not believe anything. A cyclist at his level says anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, it doesn't matter. He may be the greatest guy in the world, and and I've talked to him and I liked him personally, but I don't know if he's doping or not. Um, you know, and, uh, and when, and, and it doesn't matter to me. I don't care if they dope. I don't, you know, d- to that one standpoint. But either if we have rules and we don't enforce them, we're just becoming the UCI is a joke. Oh, we, we know that. We, is we, an we, absolute we, joke. We, we, How do you do we it? To say protect? it that many years. How do you do it to Pataki? How do you do it to Contador? A Contador is, 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 is the most extreme example. Yeah. He claims that, he, that this came from some uh, uh, tainted beef. If, yeah. if we take that at face value, let's just take that at face value for a second, then he never should have been sanctioned. But because we had rules and because there was this zero tolerance, it was in your system, whether you did it by mistake or not, you're, per, you're, 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 you're deemed to have doped. If we're going to sanction Contador, then we must sanction Froome. And I totally agree with you, Jim. Don't take nine months to make the decision. And if you're going to take nine months, how do you allow somebody to then go and race in, a ma- in major interna- international events like the Giro? Imagine, imagine if... But it wasn't because it wasn't Giro. a drug. It wasn't, this is the whole point, though, isn't it? It, it wasn't a drug that's like EPO. Oh, it's I something completely different. You it, your wife said you, on one of the last shows you said your wife, who's a physician, said that it can have big uh, uh, performance enhancing uh, uh, um, um, effect. It can, and, and, and she thought it was very strange uh, the amounts and why, when, right, and why. Exactly. However, that's 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 besides the point. It's just the fact that this isn't one of the drugs that's on the list that isn't like an automatic sanction. So mm. what happened was uh, there was a leak, basically. So the, the, the athletes are meant to get notification on this. It's not an A and B sample. It's just not that kind of drug. So we are not talking uh, apples and apples. We are talking two completely different things. So when you think rules are going to be rules, okay, well, stick to the rules. 
And the rules here are very different because this is not uh, the same kind of drug as EPO. Even if uh, we think it, it might be performance enhancing, it's not on the same list that uh, has been decided as these mega mega uh, performance enhancing drugs. So that is just one thing removed. So Froome was never uh, busted for EPO, for blood doping, for the things that we know are completely verboten. This is a, a much more grey area. Uh, Carlton? Mm. Uh, butamol is, I'm looking at the Athlete's Guide to the 2018 prohibited list from, at least from USADA. I'll have to do a little bit more Googling. But beta-2 agonists, including albuterol and salbutamol, are banned. I take those. I, I do have exercise-induced asthma. And That's I why he drops me on the climbs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, geez. There's so Go much ahead. to Go say ahead. there. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Let me tell you who I've dropped on a climb. Everybody that's behind me in my Toyota Sequoia. Mm-hmm. Anyway, other than that, I've never dropped anybody on a climb. Um, but I can show you, looking at my cadence and my and my pulse, days I've taken it and days I haven't taken it, going up the same sections of roads around here. If I don't take it, I, I didn't take it in the morning's ride. I took it in the afternoon's ride. At the end of the afternoon's ride, even though we rode a lot harder in the morning, I felt good. I wasn't exhausted. At the end of the afternoon's ride, I was dead. And, and I just couldn't. I couldn't get my heart rate above 130, 135 without just feeling totally wiped out without the drug. With the drug, I was running between 140 and 150 the whole ride, and it was a great ride. I was exhausted. I was breathing hard. There wasn't a pore in my body that wasn't spouting sweat. But I had a grin on my face. You know, it works for me. Jim, I just want to ask you, does this spoil this year's tour for you? As, as, yes and no. You know, that's the attorney gray answer. Um, I'm going to enjoy the tour. I, I didn't see the race today. I honestly didn't. But I, you know, saw the news about it and it looks like it was an interesting finish yesterday's finish i thought was amazing mm. you know i so mean I everyone's crashing yet. i haven't seen that yet don't spoil it for me <laughs> great <laughs> thanks a lot uh, i genuinely so, have that's on tape but carry so, on carry on so the the individual race no i'm gonna enjoy each day um if Froome wins I'll be honest with you. I'll be a little – I will have an emotion that is not 100% happy. And if Froome loses, and this is what I'm sad to say, I'm going to be happier. Okay. And, and, and that sucks. You know, it, it, it's really bad when you and, – and I can't – I mean that's an honest statement. If Froome loses, I'm going to enjoy it more. So same, and that sucks because he may be an honest, great guy. Same, same, same question great, to David and Daniel. Then. It purely does it spoil question. your tour. No, it's a great question, Carlson. I'm so glad you asked it and so glad you thought of it. You've got to read Jason Gay's article in the Wall Street Journal. I think it was from Friday. It's called Another Queasy Tour de France. And he, yeah. I don't remember the exact line, but he said something like, once again, the Tour de France serves up another big heaping plate of ug. <laughs> he says, but I love – he says I have like this – he's like me. He has this, this love-hate relationship with professional cycling. Mm-hmm. He loves the sport. He loves watching it. He loves the spectacle and the drama 
and everything that sort of surrounds professional cycling. Did I think that Froome should have started the Giro? No. Did I love being there? Did I love watching it when I when when, when I returned home on TV? I did. It doesn't ruin the, the tour for me. Um, it just it, there's sort of an asterisk. Is that fair? That's fair, Daniel. Um, you know, to me. Uh, I don't really care. Uh, I don't think I really care whether he was taking uh, an asthma medicine. Um, what matters to me, and I think what what ma- will matter to history, is whether he and his team have been doing a lot more than that, uh, either with their bodies or with their bicycles, right? Their bicycles. Um, and if it turns out they they're not, and that they are essentially clean, then great. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I've been delighted to see Britain finally take charge of the tour and win in spectacular fashion and produce a real dominant rider. If it turns out that their bicycles have been tampered with or their bodies have been tampered with in a really big, important, consequential way, if that is going to come out in five or ten years, then this is all terrible. And if that's the case, if, if there's a sinister aspect to this, then I really, really hope that Froome and Team Sky, uh, you know, uh, halt this conquest as quick as possible. Because look at what happened with uh, Lance Armstrong. I think if Lance had, had, had chosen to retire maybe after winning five tours, mm. uh, would this have all blown up in, yeah. a, in his face? Yeah. I wonder. Yeah, it was I definitely wonder. his big mistake. That, that, that comeback, in effect, going back to your book yeah, title, yeah. as that comeback, his, it did him down. Yeah, yeah, so... I, 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 and I, th- I wonder about all these people booing him as well. Are they booing him because of an asthma drug or are they booing him because of what they think else might be going on? What do you think? Hmm, that's a great question as well. I think both. Um, and, uh, but I will say this. I, I, I think if people want to boo, that's certainly their right. I just hope that it doesn't degrade into what it was a few years ago. Was that last year or the year before? I don't even want to say what they did, but they threw something on him. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that's just. I, I can be upset that I think that, 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 that a rule was broken and that he got away with it. But doing something like that is unco- – what the fans did in that case was unconscionable. I want to be vocal, fine. I think they're worried about more than that. I think, I think just throwing a little bit of urine would actually be soft compared to what they're planning for. <laughs> they're, they're planning. I mean, this guy, he's drafted in extra security staff, hasn't he? How do you, you know, actually secure 3,000 miles of roads? It's going to yeah, be pretty yeah. tough. But they are absolutely worried about people pushing him off his bike. That's ridiculous. And he's doing it himself. Who who needs to push him off? He can just ride into a field all by himself. And then he can run the rest of the way. I mean, look, he's he's given us some exciting times on the bike, hasn't he? Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, yeah. And so did Lance. And so did Floyd. And so, you know, back to Daniel's point, as fans, it can be exciting. Um, um, But I agree with you, Daniel. I certainly hope that that you're – that what you fear doesn't come to pass. That, um, okay, Let, let's, let's look forward then, rather than uh, worry about whether we're going to be <laughs> uh, happy about this race at all. Quite simply, who's going to win? Who, who, after three weeks, who's going to be in the, uh, the Melo Jaune? Who do we want or who do we... <laughs> who do you think? So, go, Daniel, go for you first. Who do you think is going to win this tour? Well, um, if you look at history, going back to when the riders were basically clean or, or, or the dope wasn't powerful, right? If you go back to that era, a, a, a guy over 30 doesn't win. Uh, so if we're in the old days, Froome's not going to win. Um, but in this modern era, you have men of 31, 32, 33, 34 winning the tour. So 
I'm, I'm not sure why that is exactly. Um, maybe it's because of, of dope. Maybe it's for other reasons. Maybe they're just con- more better conditioned now. But given Chris Froome's recent accomplishments, I God, he's got to be the favorite. I mean, no question. If he can stay on his bike. Right. Yeah. Just ask you know Eddie Merckx, uh, who got punched in the in the in the back in the uh, sucker punched. I mean, mm-hmm. anything could happen, like you guys said, and it's a lot of roadway. You can't protect it all. Mm-hmm. David, yeah. Who, yeah, right. So yeah. Who are you going for? Who or who do you think? Not 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 who do you want? Who do you think? Well, maybe both. Who who do you think and who do you want? So um, you you may remember that there was a time when I kept rooting for Andy Schleck to win the tour. He did, but just not like on the mm-hmm. road. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- there's 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 cyclists that I watch that I say, this guy has great potential, um, and yet hasn't quite reached that potential on the podium, um, at least the top step of the podium. And so my hope would be for Nero Quintana, because um, I think he falls into that category. If not Quintana, I would love to see a guy like Richie Port or, dare I say, Garrett Thomas. I realize he's on Sky, but I'd rather see Garrett Thomas win than see Chris Froome. Who are technically joint leaders. Correct. Mm. Mm. So they're hedging their bets there. Okay. Uh, Well, before I say who I think and who I want, I guess, and I'm I'm roughly the same as you, David, actually, to tell the truth. Um, uh, Jim, what are are your thoughts? My turn. Well, I want... <laughs> yeah, my favorite writer, of course, is, is Richie Port. Mm. Um, I, I, Just because he, he likes I've buffets. Interviewed, yeah, because of buffets. <laughs> yeah. Well, he and I have one thing in common, that's <laughs> exactly. for sure. Uh, we like food. <laughs> gee, many curses. <laughs> I thought yesterday I took a beating. Uh, um, oh, you hear the groans in the background, fans? <laughs> um, so... Uh, of the dozen or so professional writers I've ever interviewed, I enjoyed my interview with him the most, and I think he's a down-to-earth, uh, really neat guy. Um, the other person who's second on that interview list is is probably Peter Sagan. He's not that type of writer that can't that is looking to do that. But in all honesty, um, he, he came in and won the Tour de California a couple years ago, and I think if he really wanted to, he could he might want you know, but I don't think he wants to. Um, after that, I don't know. Um, I mean, I think Froome's got the best chance. I, I have not followed the team much. I don't know if his team's strong enough. Uh, but I'll be honest with you. If he wins, it'll, it'll have an asterisk for me. Mm-hmm. And I also think there's a magic number at five. Mm. You know, um, do you want some person to actually have six or do you want a whole list of people who have five? You know, do you want, um, and, and, and if you do have six, it'll have an asterisk. Mm. I, I think, uh, coming back to David, I, I actually quite like, I fancy David Grant Thomas. I think, uh, I think he's got a really good chance. I think previous years he's had a good chance and wasn't allowed to fulfill that potential. So it's the Froome story over again with, with Wiggins, potentially. So that's where I think, uh, we could be. Uh, David. Can I ask you, could- I want to ask you a quick question before we move on from the tour because yeah. I have this feeling you're going to move on from the tour. I am, I am. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I have a question. So let's take a famous champion like Eddie Merckx. Uh, and Daniel, I, I was going to ask you, do you know the answer to this? Has Eddie Merckx ever weighed in on all this doping stuff? Oh, gosh. Um, I want to say that long ago, back in the 80s and 90s, I think that he might have been one of the people 
who were supportive of some of the writers who were accused of doping, which is not to say anything other than just exactly that, that he, mm-hmm. I think some of the old old school writers, because they've been doping since the 1800s, right? right. I mean, they've been doping forever since there were six-day races just to stay upright. Mm-hmm. Doping, I mean, like stuff like strychnine and cocaine, cocaine and mm-hmm. coke. Those were the good days of racing. Of alcohol. So those old guys, <laughs> yeah, right. So those old guys look at it different, I think. Um, mm. But that's, I think, what his what his stance was. Okay, I'm going to have to do a little bit of research on this. I'd, I'd be interested to find out. Anyway, sorry, Carlton. No, 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 David, you are right. I, I do want to move away from the tour because this is an industry podcast. We're not meant to be talking about just uh, the tour. But before we do that, would you mind, if you don't mind, doing uh, a teeny weeny advert for a certain uh, sponsor? Teeny weeny. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know how to do teeny weeny adverts, but do a really long one. Do your normal because, long one. Okay, because it's for Jensen USA. Now, Jensen, um, everybody I know is aware, has been a long time and very loyal sponsor of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. And you can check him out at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. So we are relatively early in the summer, and you've been out on your mountain bike or your road bike or your gravel grinder, and you've been thinking, you know what I really need? And you can fill in that blank for yourself. And I'm going to tell you that more often than not, you're going to find exactly what fills in that blank at Jensen USA, whether it's maybe you're just tired of your bike and you want a complete bike um, from major brands, Colnago or Bea. Remember Yeti? And I don't mean the ice chest company. I mean the, like the, <laughs> the amazing mountain bike company. Major brands of complete bikes you'll find at Jensen USA. Um, components, apparel, footwear, accessories, gifts, whatever it is that you're looking for for your cycling lifestyle. You can find at Jensen USA, buy over $50, get free shipping, and always, not only should you go to JensenUSA.com slash the spokesman, check out what's on our list of items there, but then click on that little gear at the top left that says Jensen USA, go to their homepage, because frequently they're having some really amazing sales. Maybe they got uh, a large stock of items from one particular brand, or as right now, they're still in the middle of the 4th of July sale. Um, Always check that out, and then go find what you're looking for. You'll find it. You're going to find it at great prices and with unparalleled customer service. At the top of their page now, it says expert guidance. And those are their gear advisors. These are actual cyclists who are staffing those phones. When you have a question about something, they're going to give you a knowledgeable answer because chances are they've tried that that component or they've ridden that bike and they know what's going to work well for you. Or for instance, you want to buy a bike and you're not quite sure For instance, you know, Colnago sometimes has a reputation for having strange sizes. They're going to be able to pinpoint the exact size for you. So go check them out. It's at JensenUSA.com slash The Spokesman. Our big thanks to Jensen USA for supporting The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. And our thanks to you for supporting Jensen USA. How's that, Carlton? That was perfect. Thank you, David. It's strange hey, sizes. I just, thought it was strange riders for Colnago. Yeah, just, hey, 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 I have two Colnagos and I don't like either of those statements. <laughs> just because no, they fit me two, doesn't mean they're strange. I have two Colnagos and the sizing is a little strange. My, my <laughs> argument holds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we are right now on the first day of, of Eurobike. I'm not there this year. Uh, I, I wasn't there last year either, um, but it has started, and it started at, at, at a weird time. So people in the not in the trade this this uh, this time, like start the Tour de France, start of Eurobike, they shouldn't mesh, they shouldn't meet. 
Yeah. Uh, Eurobike is normally uh, much, much further into, well, into uh, August, a- end of August, in fact, almost uh, September, first week of September. So the dates have changed. The industry, I would say, is not happy about this. Uh, the dates are changing again next year, which is infuriating. And the industry is going through this weird time with not understanding, not wanting to, to pin down dates or even venues in, in the case of America. So bringing back this to the, to the state side, Interbike isn't exactly um, a, 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 an incredibly uh, a, a show that is, I'm trying to be politically correct here. I'm trying to. Be, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be nice to Interbike. How can I say? It hasn't had the best of of years. Has Interbike? It, it, it lost its, it's uh, chief in command. Many people say it is dying, and yet, uh, who, who sent this? Um, was that you, I David? Did. Okay. Or was it you? So. Yep. So basically, you're saying um, that it's actually outgrowing the Reno Convention Center, and they're adding tents. So that suggests it's not dying. It's it's expanding. So, do you want to expand on that? Well, it, there's two things that have happened in the all overall outdoor industry. In that, in the outdoor retailer trade show, it bought SIA, the ski show, combined them and moved them to Denver, Colorado. The January winter show was bigger than both shows combined. It looks like the summer show is stacking up to be. I mean, there is the closets are being rented out in the convention center in Denver. It looks like um, that is versus vast spaces that were empty at the last show, summer show in Salt Lake City. Um, all of a sudden, we leave Vegas after 20-some years and for Interbike, and the show's moving to Reno with the um, demo at uh, North Star Tahoe. Um, and the convention center at, at Reno is definitely smaller than um, Mandalay Bay, I'm pretty sure. Not 100%, but pretty sure. And they're already adding an outside area. Uh, I mean, there was going to be a test area probably, and they've, but they've expanded it. They've added booths out there now. Um, it, I, I can't believe a change of venue is enough to do that. I mean, do you really get so tired of one place or the eating at the same restaurant that moving to new town makes people go? Or has the show changed? Um, the dates are a nightmare. The dates are always going to be a nightmare because retailers want to wait to the end of their season when they know how much money they have to spend. And, um, manufacturers want to get earlier and earlier orders in. So they have more time to have the product manufactured and shipped to the United States. For those of you believing that bikes are still made in the United States (laughs) and voted for Trump. Um, so, (laughs) um, Hey Jim. Mandalay Bay is a million square feet. Sands, by comparison, where we used to go, is 2.25 million square feet. And little Reno Sparks Convention Center is 650,000 square feet. Wow. And in in looking at this article that was sent over uh, that you put in the show notes, it doesn't look to me like they're adding another three, you know, three hundred and fifty thousand square no. feet here. So no. I think that this is a bit deceptive. It uh, is, and I think that when I look at what's going, I agree with Carlton. When I look at what at 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 the departure of Pat Hoos, whether that was by choice or not, 
I don't know. It um, wasn't my choice. Okay. Uh, now I know. Um, and I look at all of the emails and the social media essentially begging me to come to Reno, and I'm not. Um, I have the same feeling that Carlton has. And of course, this is, we've talked about this a million times on this show. This is, this is uh, the same thing in every industry around the world. Trade shows are dying. Dying. Um, and I think that this is one that is, that appears, I don't know for a fact, but appears from the outside to be struggling. Well, and, and based on that, I agree with you, but an outdoor retailer in the wintertime here in Denver was like the show was in Reno 21 years ago. I mean, there were, the aisles were so crowded, you Mm. had to maneuver through the aisles, um, it wasn't like you could just run to your next show. You had to work your way around crowds of people. This is, this uh, is not the show, though. This is the industry was bigger. N- no, but, was, but, but, but he's comparing it to, to, to outdoor retailer today, mm. which is run by the same company still, right, Jim? Mm. Yeah. Um, and, 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 I, and, I, and again, I, I don't know whether that's indicative of, of the fact that the location change there's more of of there's more people in the outdoor industry in Denver. It's easier to get to Denver. There's Could more be. hotel rooms in Denver. There's more re- restaurants in Denver. The 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 impression of the state of Colorado versus the state of Utah is different among people in the outdoor industry. I think that there are a lot more factors there, and and and, and those are unmeasurable to some right. extent, and that's the problem. So are the shows dying? Did it get a? Was it a lucky year? In two weeks, I'll, I'll have better information because the summer show is here, and I'll and I'll have a better idea what's going on. But we were, I mean, everybody was literally blown away by the attendance. For two seconds, until just five seconds ago, I thought maybe Interbike had had was suffering or taking advantage of that same opportunity and jumping. But I didn't realize that the convention center was three hundred fifty thousand square foot smaller, and the outdoor space is probably only adding. 75,000 square foot, not even close to that. So, and we'll see what the demo is. I mean, that the demo is, is the big tell all for Interbike. I mean, it shrunk. I mean, right now the hottest bike is pivot. And I think the number one reason why pivot was the hottest bike is they were the only ones at the demo the last two years, really last year, they were the only ones at the demo, the, the line was at pivot because there was really no other place to stand in line. Daniel, so, have you we'll been see. to the? Do you go to these trade shows? Oh no, this is—it's not my world at all. I, I know very little about it. I'm kind of a new inhabitant of this universe, um, but it's intriguing. And as you're talking about that, I'm thinking I've got to get an invite to this thing because, my goodness, if I came there with a box of books, <laughs> I'd, I'd do pretty well. Yeah, absolutely, you definitely yeah. should. Well, <laughs> your your publisher is Grove Atlantic, yeah. Yes, yes. The book actually came out on Atlantic. Monthly Press and Atlantic Monthly is a great old name in in the states. Goes back to the Civil War. Um, yeah, Grove Atlantic in New York. But you know, we the publisher, I we don't know too much about the bike industry. I was going to ask you guys because you, you're the experts on this. Um, this ebb and flow in in the industry is it driven by your Greg LeMond, your your Lance Armstrong, the the bicycle mm-hmm. racers who get big and are on the cover of SI, or is it driven more by just the fancy of recreational cyclists, or both. There's definitely there was definitely what they call a lance bump yeah. that lasted for 10, 11 years at least, 
you know, Lance brought cycling out of the closet and into the living rooms of most of the Americans. And cycling um, uh, as an industry made bank on that. Um, when, when an American gets big on an international stage, it generates money here in the United States. I was talking to a kayak manufacturer who said that he sold more kayaks in 1972 than he did the next 10 years because we had an American win a gold medal in the Olympics in 1972. Um, that creates a bump in the industry. And so Lance um, did that. Um, you know, only having five Americans in the Tour de France, no bumps coming. Um, yeah. But yeah, there is, there is a direct correlation. I think I think it was a great question, Daniel, and I think that that for sure uh, Lance had a. I think I saw it in Southern California. There was a huge uh, increase in people on road bikes, um, and you know my favorite shop in Southern California that I went to um, would, was always telling me that um, that those years were some of their best years um, for high end road bikes. Um, uh, people who were coming to cycling for the first time in the middle age, in middle age, uh, because they had watched Lance and been inspired by Lance. So yeah, absolutely there was. Do I think that it makes a difference when it comes to trade shows? No, not at all. Um, and I and I think that um, I think that again, I, th- I think that the, the, the I think the world, the business world in general, is different today than it was in the days of Greg LeMond winning the tour and even of Lance leading the tour. Um, so I just think it's a different world. I think the trade shows are struggling to find their place in that world. Um, whether it's Friedrichshafen being in, in the beginning, sorry, Eurobike being in the beginning of July, which is again, right in the middle of the world cup, right in the middle of the tour de France, right in the middle of the heavy selling season mm. is odd. Taipei moving from the spring to the fall, strange. Um, um, and, and Taipei is of course a, a, a business, uh, centric. It's a B2B show. Um, or, or Interbike moving from Vegas to Reno. I think that, that everyone is just trying new things to find out where they fit into this um, sort of post-internet world, if you will. Well, let, let me bring in a, a new topic here, then, but it's the same topic at the same time. So Eurobike is e-bike. It's, it's been an, an e-bike show over the last few years. This year probably, uh, from all, all accounts, just as big as e-bikes have been in, in previous years. Uh, one, this is, I haven't put this in the show notes, but I did a story on this on, on, on BikeBiz. Uh, the world sporting uh, goods industry, the kind of the trade body that uh, represents the industry to the wider world and to bodies such as the, the, the UCI, uh, is following the UCI's lead and is going to be doing a tech committee on e-bike racing so quite apart from you know we have hidden motors in some bikes uh, this is different to that this is going to be races uh, mountain bike probably to begin with uh, almost certainly mountain bike uh, where uh, batteries uh, mid motor probably going to be mid motor rather than a, a hub motor but electric bikes are going to be allowed into races the industry is was straight onto this because that's where the industry is making most of its money. So e-bikes are where it's at at the moment. So if we had a, a Lance Armstrong bubble, well then uh, the bubble we've got now is very much to connect with batteries. So where do you guys see this going? 
Do you welcome this? Do you think this is um, purely to make, uh, well, as all racing is, of course, to make money? But is this is this a cynical thing for the UCI and the, the World Federation of Sporting Goods Industry to do, to get on board with e-mountain bike racing? Or do you think this is fresh and wonderful and, and, and it's just super? So um, we've, we've had it. We've had it for decades here in the United States. We call it NASCAR mm. <laughs> or, or motocross. Mm. Yeah. So, you, I'm, so putting you, I'm putting you down as a, a, a you're, I'm going to tick cynic there. Then you're, you're going to just say, no, this is just a cynical ploy uh, by the trade and uh, the world governing body just to jump on a bandwagon here. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, because the first thing that's going to happen, you've got to make these massive amount of rules. How many ohms or watts or horsepower can these things generate, you know, before it's no longer an e-bike? You well, know, we, have we that, already have... Jim, we have that. We already have that. We have, like, the Class 1 and the Class 2 in the U.S. And in, the, in Europe, we've got uh, Speed Pedelec and we have Pedelec. Where, so the wattage is, is roughly sorted. So we're not talking about getting more wattage. We're not talking about getting more speed because they're all limited. So we are talking about limited bikes, bikes that ha have got rules and regulations as of now. They're just talking about racing them. That's all. But but they're gonna. The first thing that's going to happen is they're going to figure out a way to make them go faster based on the wattage or whatever, you know. And so we're back to testing again. Instead of testing the athlete, we'll be testing the. They're testing the, the bike. bike. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so Daniel, what what are your views on on e-bikes and and racing e-bikes? Well. Um, I, we rode on some in Sacramento a few days ago, the kids and I. Um, you rent them by the hour, and I think they've got a solar-powered battery, and they're wonderful um, for, for tourists, for commuters. Um, I have an, an engineer friend who lived near me outside of D.C. who bought one of those and was commuting to the University of Maryland every day. Um, in these cities where commuting on a bike is a big thing, it's a really cool technology. Um, now, Oh, as far, as far as racing on them, um, I just can't imagine a situation in which you could sort of level the playing field so that a race among people on electrified bikes would be remotely sort of equitable. If, if you were trying to sort of set a speed record or something like a drag race, that sounds great. But I don't know. It sounds messy <laughs> to, to imagine racing these bikes. Um, but I, I'm still trying to get over the idea that people have been uh, ferreting, you know, motors into bikes mm. that aren't supposed to be motorized, and it's just, it's just not kosher. Do think, so I don't Dan know. Daniel, do you think this will, in members of the public who are not into cycling, if they hear about this, they think, "Hang on, I thought, well, I thought we're banning uh, people with motors. batteries on bikes. What, 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 what's this? Is racing then allowing this? Do you think it'll confuse <laughs> the market, the, the, the general marketplace? Um, as far as people trusting bicycle racing. Um, I think that ship has already sailed. I'm afraid mm -hmm. to say that. I mean, I've asked many, many people in the States, and there's a lot of general rolling of eyes. And it's really unfortunate because there was a huge amount of doping in our baseball sport over here. Um, and yet somehow baseball has moved on, has moved past it, and is as popular as ever. But somehow that has not happened in cycling. Um, people think, a lot of people in this country think the tour is kind of a joke now. Um, and I think it's because I, I, I made an analogy to this in the book that, you know, the doping in baseball didn't sort of change the outcome of a World Series, right? But but in but in uh, in cycling, it, it it did. I mean, it's sort of like we've had all these tours that have been annulled, and just like the winner has been removed, and it's just so 
catastrophic. And I think a lot of the, the, the fans here in the States have, have already lost a lot of faith. Unfortunately, the faith that they might have gained as they were following Greg or following Lance back when, you know, in more innocent days. Mm. And, and David, you, you have an e-bike, but what are your views on, not e-bikes in general, just on racing? What are your views on e-mountain bike racing? Um, okay, I'm going to get to that, but first I'm going to, I'm going to go to Daniel's point. We have um, an e-bike share system here in Park City, Utah, and they're a blast. They are oh, so it's much cool. fun. We, we you know, like uh, on a Sunday, we will literally – I wish there was a, a dock closer to home. We will go to the closest dock. We will get on these e-bikes and we'll take them to downtown Park City just to enjoy the day and then take them back. And it's it's fun. We have – I mean, okay, my wife and I are cyclists, but our kids aren't. And But the four of us get on these e-bikes and we just have a great time. So – I am with you. They're they're a blast, and I've used bike share systems in cities all over the world. And it's the e-bikes that I think are the most fun. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, I think that Jim and I, when it comes to 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 e-bike mountain e-mountain bike racing, I think a bit we're kind of like um, the old guy with the gray hair sitting in his rocking chair on his porch, saying, "Hey, you kids, get off my lawn." Um, I think that. <laughs> <laughs> I think th- that we are old guys um, who who are who are traditionalists in some way, who are saying, "Really, motors on mountain bikes—that's just insane." However, while I wouldn't do it, and while I wouldn't go watch, I think that it could be a gateway drug to getting kids on actual mountain bikes and perhaps expanding um our constituency and so if that is what happens if if kids see these e-bikes they say hey that looks like fun and then eventually whether they stay on the e-bikes or they move to traditional mountain bikes if that's good for the industry then i'm all for it i wouldn't do it i wouldn't watch it because they should get off my lawn but i'm all for it see i'm going to see the crashes (laughs) <laughs> well it, it does sound like it, now now you know i mean we've all crashed on mountain bikes imagine crashing on a relative on a heavier hmm. e-bike um that doesn't sound like fun to me see the way sounds I, like fun as a spectator i, I was riding e-mountain bikes in in ketchum idaho uh, which is yep. when I, I i came in and nearly met david in uh, in salt lake city so this is like <clears throat> two weeks ago so i was riding a bmc oh should i mention that now no, I shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, forget I mentioned BMC having this fantastic e-bike. No, they haven't got anything. I do apologize. <laughs> I was riding some some brand and specialized. So I was riding uh, a specialized um, e-mountain bike. And I, when I was riding around the, 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 the trails, and this was a trail in Idaho. Uh, it's called the Imperial and Greenhorn uh, Trail. And it, this is actually allowed for, for motorized use. It's a fantastic single track trail, but it is does allow... Uh, motorized use so you can have horses up there you can have trail bikes up there you can have e-mountain bikes up there you can have uh, walkers up there too uh, when I was riding around on this trail and, and, and the, the, the finessing of mountain bike climbing uphill on a mountain bike like a nimble goat goes you are just blasting up these you, you couldn't ride up these things as fast as you can ride up them in a with a, an e-bike for sure but in a racing conditions, if you blast up every single 
uh, ascent, you're going to waste your battery. You're going to be, uh, your juice will just disappear. So I think part the, they're going to be more skillful than that. So I think a lot of the e-bike mountain bike racing will actually be a case of, should I put it on turbo here? Should I actually use more human power here? Because that'll give me more battery. And there might be a whole new almost gaming level to this. It won't just be who's the fastest round. It's who's the fastest round with the least amount of, of or most amount of battery left, because that's also going to be part of the skill to be able to tame that battery use and not just blast it around. Because of course, you, if you just blast it around around the whole course, you're going to win. So that surely has got to be part of the UCI and the WFCGI's thinking is this can't just be a you know, in effect, throttle it round, you know, go around on turbo the whole way. You've got to do these courses so you actually make it a test of skill and judgment because it's no longer just a, a, a test of muscle power alone. Yeah, we that's that doesn't happen in NASCAR with gasoline at all. For those of you who are wondering where Ketchum, Idaho is because you think it's the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Ketchum, Idaho is is directly next door to Sun Valley, Idaho, which is the famous ski resort uh, in here in North America. So just wanted to fill that in for you, Carlton. Thank you. My, my life, my joke was that bad, eh? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I agreed with your joke. Again, it's just get off my lawn. Well, you it's, know, I, I, it's kind of coming, so. Yeah. And, you know, and I'll support it because I'm a big believer in e-bikes. I have seen two things. I've seen more people on bicycles this year than I have in the last 10 um, in the Denver metro area. And I see a lot of people. I, I was driving home from the post office in a gray, cloudy day, and I saw four people on e-bikes commuting home. I mean, you could tell they had work clothes on. Uh, they, they, or they had, uh, coats on, not riding clothes and they were, it was, you know, five thirty, six o'clock they were commuting home. And that was just, that was just fantastic. Um, I'm a big believer in them racing them. Sure. It was going to happen. I mean, crap, I'll race anyone to the end of the block and then I have to lay down and take my pulse and call nine one one, but I'll, I'll race anybody anywhere. So um, did, did you listen? So of course. Jim, did you listen to the, the and I've actually done a bike beer story on this as well. I, I, I did a transcription, but the Dave Turner rant. Did you no. did you listen to that? Did you read that? Okay. No. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, well. Well, he, uh, let, let me praise it for you. He's, he's basically, he, he makes these wonderful mountain bikes. He, in effect, says, and he, not in effect, he actually genuinely said this. He said within five to eight years, the whole uh, top end mountain bike market will be uh, will be completely obliterated by e-mountain bikes because why and it's specifically talking about americans here why would somebody go into a, a bike shop with say eight thousand dollars in their in their pocket look at a top-end mountain bike look at a at a, a a very reasonable e-mountain bike one's got power one's got torque one hasn't that consumer is just going to go, well, I'd be mental not to go for the one with, with extra power. And that means there will be no future left for, for top-end mountain bikes. Do you, think you know, that's a, do you think that's a future that is coming? 200 no. years ago, they proposed that they, they close the patent office because all patents had been created. Um, I, I don't 
yeah, one every once in a while, something will happen. But that's not going to happen much. No. Um, it's People are still going to be, I want to do it on my own. Um, I mean, you got to be at a certain age level or a certain mental level so, to say, I got to get this mountain on my own. So, Jim, um, you, you, you're, you're talking to us here from your your steam phone and your manual typewriter. So you're not using the latest <laughs> technologies here. You're, you're with, still using 20 year old technology. Yeah. Yeah. With five screens on this manual typewriter in front of me. Um, no, the, I'm not that's, saying that's I'm, the analogy. I'm not saying, no, but it, it, it's slightly different. It's that I get, I mean, I've got, I found a drop post yesterday that I hadn't even put on a bike yet. It was still the box. It's like, gee, monster stupid. Um, you buy too much stuff. Um, I, I love you know the latest that. and greatest. I'm just saying that there are going to be some people who want to get to the top of the mountain on their own, and some, I mean, the White Rim Trail. you got to come over one of these days and do it, Carlton. You'll love it. At the end, it's a 2,800-foot climb, 1,800-foot climb, whatever it is, and I want an e-bike for that. I don't want an e-bike for the rest of it. I think it's fun to ride, but after four days... I'm exhausted. I can't get to the top. One of these days, I want to get to the top. And if somebody shoves me the whole way, or I have a little motor there, I don't think it'll matter in my life anymore. But, Jimmy, you're saying some people. That, that's fantastic. Some people. But some people <laughs> also have manual typewriters. But you wouldn't want to build your whole industry around manual typewriters anymore. So the, the point I'm asking is, with Dave Turner, is he right? Do, do you, I mean, you said no. But his point is the industry will be will be finished because those some people will be very few in number. But Carlton, mm. we we going back to going back to your books, um, we started with bicycles many, 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 many years ago. And they were always human powered. And from the time of the beginning of the, the human-powered bicycle till today, we are still selling a, many millions of human-powered bicycles. And in the intervening years, motorcycles and mopeds were introduced to the world. And yet people are still riding human-powered bicycles. And I think that while there will be some who will want an electric mountain bike or an electric road bike or even just an electric assist, or a pedelec, I think that that people will still want to ride the human-powered bicycle, and I think it's not just some. I think that people who consider themselves cyclists, whether it's for 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 fitness or for purity or of 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 the sport or purity of the wilderness or whatever, they will still want the human-powered, non-externally uh, powered, non non-electric, non-gasoline, two-wheeled craft. Um, and I still so yes, I think he's wrong. Yeah, we've had electric um, skateboards for a while now. Uh, in downtown Denver, we now have two or three people companies that are putting. Oh electric. yes, the the scooter sharing companies. Yes, and they're in a war with Denver. You know, Denver says, "Oh, you it's can't have those," here. and they're going nuts. You know, people are loving them. Uh, easier to ride for some people than a bicycle, but but. Um, I have not seen kids in my neighborhood riding electric ones. I mean, maybe if the price was the same, that would be different. But I, I don't know. I, I I don't see I don't see electric taking over. I see it growing, but I don't see it taking over. 
I let's, mean, let's, someone, let's, but, let's, but, but someone does because Lyft and Uber are both investing big time, hundreds of millions of dollars in bike share companies, whether those are manual bike share companies like City Bike in New York or e-bike companies. Both Lyft and Uber are, are now investing in that business. Um, now, Lyft and Uber, I think, are betting, well, you know, in 20 years, nobody's going to own their own car. And we're going to have self-driving cars that will come pick you up and drive you elsewhere. Perhaps they're also saying in the future, nobody will own their own bikes. I, I don't, I'm not a futurist. I just don't think that that's going to happen. But I think that, that, that in, we've seen in cities where Lyft and Uber are taking over the transportation business, perhaps they want to take over the bike business as part of that. David, that's very good at uh, getting another one of our show topics uh, into the conversation there. Very good. Uh, we, we, we have actually had, uh, we'll probably talk about half of actually what's on uh, the, the, the talking show list. Yeah, of course. List we have. So we've only done half of that. We could carry on for hours and hours and hours, uh, but we really can't because people have got lives to get on with. And, and, and even the best of podcasts in the world have got to come uh, uh, to an end. And, and this one has got to come to an end, I'm afraid. Uh, but before you, you we guys have end, lives, uh, uh, you guys have lives. Uh, yes. Uh, before we come to an end, I would like to go around the, t uh, the virtual table and uh, and get our social media handles and perhaps URLs, so websites for books, for instance. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and, and, and let's go straight away to, to to Daniel. So you can you can tell us where we can get uh, a copy of Comeback from. The kind of you. Um, I have a website which is danieldevise.com um, and if you want to find the book uh, from your favorite independent bookseller or from Amazon or from anywhere, you know, you can just type in comeback book Le Monde and you'll find it. I, I Probably Le Monde's an easier name to remember than Divise. Um But yeah, there's a lot of different ways to find it. It's, it's available at your better bookstores everywhere. Thank and, you. And, and, and Daniel, social media, are you hanging out on Twitter or on Instagram. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, I just posted on Twitter this morning. Uh, I, I wrote a list of ten bicycle racing books, not mine, others that I think would be worth thumbing through during the lulls in this year's tour. Um, and, and it's on my Twitter thing. I think it's Daniel Devise, uh, and I'm also on Facebook. Um, but Twitter's where I'm putting probably more stuff these days, and I'm posting constantly because I'm in a different city every day doing a book talk. Oh, that because you mentioned before that you're you're. You're having trouble, you know, you might perhaps on your iPhone because you've got patchy Wi-Fi. So you're in San Francisco at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And that's because you're getting a talk. Later today in Silicon Valley, uh, and, and I think tomorrow might be Santa Rosa, which is uh, Sonoma. And all, I'm, I'm going to three or more, four more talks in Northern Cal, and then I'm heading down to Southern Cal, and I'm finishing up in Riverside, and then heading home uh, for now, uh, but then there's going to be more book talks next month as well. So, is there a URL for your book talks? Oh, it's it's really my, my website, uh, danieldevise.com. There's, okay. there's an appearances page on there, which is pretty, I think it's pretty easily navigated, and it's got links to all the different bicycle clubs, the very cool clubs that are hosting me, and the bookstores, the very cool bookstores that are selling the book, and even some bicycle shops that are involved as well. And you're going close at any point to, to where Greg Marmond lives? Well, I was in Reno uh, a couple nights ago, uh, July the 5th, and, and Greg's father was there, uh -huh. and Greg's sisters were both there, 
and the bicycle craftsman Roland de la Santa was there, um, and it was it was wonderful. It was it felt like a homecoming, at least as far as the book was concerned. It was a great night. That sounds good. Great. So, where people go to your website to find out about the the, the talks, which Jim said were fantastic. Thank you. So, Jim, how about you? Where where can we find you on 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 the interwebs? Remember Recreation Law. Twitter is one word Recreation Law. Um, recreation-law.com is my website um, recreation.law at gmail.com is an email address um, I too have just finished another book um, it's about rafting the Grand Canyon it's going to be on Amazon next week oh, cool. <laughs> congratulations I, yeah fantastic it, it, it's one of those things that I've sent out enough emails to people going down the river giving them advice I decided if I collected them all did some editing it'd be a book so but it's not enough it's, it's one of those books there's not enough interest a, on a yearly basis that anyone wanted to publish it so i'm just gonna you know kindle it and see what happens but i'm working on my seventh book next so blimey and yeah. david david where can we find you at the moment i do not have a book Mm-hmm. Um, but, but before I say where you, you can find me, I was I was on Daniel's website, and um, for those of you who are thinking, you know, wow, who is this guy? What does he know about writing? Yeah, you know, he's shared a Pulitzer Prize. He wrote for the Washington Post. Oh yeah. Um, you, you might want to go and read his about. I'm very impressed, Daniel, and very pleased to have had you on the show. So thank you for joining us today, and Jim, thanks for uh, bringing him to our attention. I'm looking forward to reading the book, Daniel. Oh, thank you, guys. It's been a great pleasure. Good. I want to just—I want to find out what it's like writing next to David Barry. And there you go. Um, so, oh, wow. uh, <laughs> uh, where can you find me? So, mm. I'm on. So I think probably the easiest way. I suppose lately the most social media I'm doing is probably on Instagram, which is Fredcast, um, and occasionally on Twitter, uh, which is also Fredcast. I retweeted. Uh, something that, that Jim tweeted the other day, a great sort of cute explanatory video of the Tour de France. I watched the entire thing, and it was really, really fascinating. So um, go check out Jim's Twitter feed or my Twitter feed and click on that link. It was a really cute, informative video for those maybe who don't have a whole lot of knowledge of this strange thing that we all watch for three weeks every year. But um, yeah, Carlton, by the way, also kudos to you. You were doing an amazing job with the show. Um, and much, much, much more regular than I ever was. So kudos to you. You're doing an awesome job. Thank you for having us on today. Well, and thank you for saying so. I mean, I do go to some pretty cool places, and I can sometimes shove microphones in people who are in these cool places. So that's why I'm able to, to keep the show going when people aren't always available to be on the show uh, in this roundtable format because we, you know, we, we do this transatlantically, all these different time zones. It, it can be very difficult to get us all in the same place at the same time. David, you, you are very often on business trips. In fact, you go to Belgium a lot mm-hmm. uh, where we, we came in the show where, where Daniel was saying his, his family was originally from, from Belgium. So there's all these kind of links. So people, to getting people together is, 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 is can be phenomenally difficult. So I am so very happy that we are all uh, on the show today and that we have had uh, a, a roundtable show today. However, uh, I have got to end the show. And this has been uh, show 193 of the Spokesman uh, Cycling Roundtable. Thank you ever so much 
uh, for listening to the show. Thank you for uh, telling your friends about the show. Thank you for subscribing to the show, even though iTunes can be the most unbelievably flaky software out there and the show... <laughs> The show numbers go hither and thither, and then eventually they, they, they settle down. So I do apologize for uh, that. I don't think it's a problem I'm creating. I do think it's something to do with uh, uh, the RSS feed and the way that iTunes handles that. However, uh, if you do have problems uh, with, with getting the show on iTunes, then you can go to uh, the website, which is where all the show notes are as well. And that's where there's an MP3 there if you ever need to just download it directly. And that is the hyphen spokesman dot com i have no idea when the next show will be but it won't be too long away i do hope that it will be another uh, round table show because i have had a blast today talking to uh, to jim to daniel and to david uh, we're not having any tips today I, I i'm sorry about that i'm sure daniel will actually be pleased about that uh and uh, david and jim you can save yours till the next show so <laughs> Before we all get round uh, a virtual table together again, I would just like to say, get out there and ride. Oh, thanks. And by the way, one of you gentlemen, did you mention Dave Barry, the humorist? He did. Yeah. I'm sorry, I, you said David, and I just yeah, yeah. completely <laughs> missed it. Um, yeah, I, I played in a pickup band with him back in Florida, and he's, he's a great guitarist and a very funny guy, so sorry, I, I totally missed that. He is a that. very <laughs> funny guy. That's, that's, that's very Yeah, good. I mean, uh, uh, it, obviously, it, and it was, here again, it's one of those things that when I read your bio, I went, oh, wonder if he knows Barry, you know, yeah. one of those deals. So <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Great hey, guy. You're I, on, Daniel. Yeah, yeah, oh, thank you. It, this is terrific, really fun. Guys, Good. I'm going for a ride.